Welcome to The Streets Are Planning. I'm your host, Jay Ruffin, and I want to welcome you to the My Way Home episode of The Streets Are Planning podcast. Now, My Way Home is a song that I've loved for, for quite some time off that late registration album by Kanye West. Uh, it's really just featuring Common, and Common, uh, the chorus on that song you know, is just something that I, I just love to hear. You know, it's a, it's a sped up, you know, rendition of an older song uh, talking about my way home. And it is just, you know, for today's topic, which is basically affordable housing and, you know, housing security issues. I wanted to make sure that I chose a song that when 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 you hear it, you're like, yeah. You know, Jay was on point with with the selection of this song. So, so long story short, I read an article sometime back. I think it was back in early May, uh, and it was an, an article that was in uh, Curbs, um, which is on curb dot com. It's called "The Affordable Housing Crisis Explained: Blame Policy, Demographics, and Market Forces." Um, and so, the 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 genesis of the article was basically. You know, highlighting and lifting up a national issue that I believe is something extremely critical for any candidate running for president, governor, mayor, city council, uh, state legislature, you name it. These folks need to, one, have a, a platform uh, or have a policy person on staff or somebody that they have identified that can speak with expertise towards this affordable housing crisis and believe me it really is a crisis you look at major cities like new york chicago detroit atlanta los angeles san francisco oakland you know uh, uh, houston dallas you name it if there's a big city uh, and small this is a rural a rural america issue as well where there is a lack of affordable housing for people now when we talk about affordable housing, I know there's a lot of kind of thoughts about, you know, well, you know, what it, what does it mean academically, but also what does it mean day to day in the hood, right? Like there's a lot of people like, yo, oh man, I grew up in the projects. Yeah, that's affordable housing. Uh, somebody who has a Section 8 voucher, that's affordable housing. Somebody who was able to utilize FHA, an FHA loan, um, or they were able to utilize like, you know, um, a VA loan of some sort that helped them with a low down payment, uh, will help them with the down, with down payment assistance for them to lower the amount of monthly payment that they would make. Or the way that we look at it um, as those of us who are in the affordable housing game, so to speak, uh, we look at uh, you know, if you are paying 30% or below of your income, then it is affordable for you. It is affordable for your household. Anything that you are paying over 30% of your income, that means that you have a very high rent burden. And that means that you are in a, in a situation where if you got sick or if something happened to you, um, your ability to maintain and sustain that housing during that period of time could be in jeopardy. And, um, you know, so it's quite an issue. The other way that it's, it's looked at is, you know, a lot of folks throw, throw around like, oh, is it 80% AMI or 60% AMI or 30 to 20% AMI? So AMI means area median income. So basically what HUD has 
you know, they, they use data and, you know, driven by census data, you know, for MSAs, which is, uh, you know, Metropolitan Statist Statistical Area, where they look at that area and say, okay, so what is the average income in these specific ranges, right? And so at 60% area median income, you know, uh, here in, in let's say, let's just use the Detroit area, uh, we would be talking about somebody who makes, you know, less than $40,000 or close to 30 some odd thousand dollars um, if you're single or, has a, or, or with a household, okay? Um, and so this is, that's a situation where, you know, any type of housing that comes on the market, some people talk about like, all right, but we want to have a certain number of units in this affordability or AMI range uh, for, for those amount of folks who fit the, that criteria, okay? And so for, for, for me in both of those ways, they really do kind of, you know, speak to affordable housing as, a, as you know, from a data standpoint and academic standpoint of like what, what that really means, right? Now, when it comes to talking to people in general, it's been my experience when you say like, oh man, you know, you need affordable housing, nobody wants to admit or say like, oh, I need affordable housing. So uh, there are a lot of communities and a lot of cities that I go to um, or, you know, community plans that I've been a part of. And we're talking about, hey, we need to increase your level of uh, affordable housing. And when we present a project in the neighborhood, they're like, nah, we don't need that, man. And we don't we don't need those people. And when they think of those people, they think of, you know, this the stereotype that that Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, invented of, you know, the welfare mother and you know, abusing the system, or they look at it as like those folks who are going to bring crime and, you know, just nefarious activities to, to, to my neighborhood. When in actuality, if you're talking about 60 to 80% area median income, 40% area median income, these are people, uh, those are the same folks who are saying, no, nah, we, don't, we don't want the housing. Like, like Jay, we, we, we don't want you to, to, to bring a kind of project like that here in this neighborhood. We don't need it. What we need is X, Y, and Z. Well, actually, you know, if you are, you know, in that range of making forty thousand to fifty thousand dollars a year, or let's just say thirty, between thirty and fifty thousand dollars a year, um, you are going to qualify for affordable housing in this region. And you are a nurse, an LPN. You are a teacher. You are someone that could be a bus driver. You might work at a factory, uh, and you qualify for affordable housing. But folks do not want to. For whatever reason, um, you know, state or agree uh, in that way, and that's just been my, my my personal experience. So, you know, those are those NIMBY folks um, who, you know, also if like, oh man, if you're building new housing, uh, well, then we got to build it at a lesser quality um, because you know these folks they don't know how to keep up their property and they're not going to know how to take care of of their stuff, which is one of my pet peeves when talking about affordable housing. So I just want to let you know if if you see me in these streets and you say like, oh man, like y'all y'all need to just don't even worry about the materials or like, you know, the quality of the housing or whatever. Jermaine, I just think you just need to just build that and we'll be good. Nah, we're gonna have a problem in these in, in, in these streets. I'm just letting you know. So so with that, the other piece is there's also this phenomenon that, that existed in the in the sixties, seventies, eighties uh, 90s as well when it came to affordable housing with the congregation of affordable properties all together, which is another, uh, you know, affordable housing approach that just 
pisses me off to no end because what you're saying is you're creating a, a side of town or you're creating a neighborhood where every single person within that neighborhood is quote unquote poor, quote unquote, you know, they need assistance, quote unquote. Uh, you know, these folks are saying, oh, they put the problem people in this particular area. And just like I explained a moment ago, affordable housing, there's a wide range. Of course, there's folks at temp who, who need to own, need the ability to be at 10% AMI and 20% AMI, and we need units that serve those folks. And, and, and But those people are not stereotypical, like, problem people, right? Like, this is, these are our friends. These are our family. These are folks that, that we know and are members of our community. And so when you talk about congregating people as if you can't live next to them uh, because they have to because they can't afford higher quality housing that's a problem for me um, you know having grown up and experienced that level of housing you know myself um, you know I take that quite personal and while I'm a professional and I operate in these spaces like those are things that I just can't tolerate um, hearing and I just don't support anyone who takes that that approach as a uh, you know we need to treat these folks lesser than or we should congregate them in any kind of area so so that th those are <laughs> I, I just wanted to lay that out clearly for 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 everyone and so as you are, are navigating these spaces i am sure those of you who are involved in affordable housing have heard those stories um, of those people uh, the poor quality, like maybe we should, you know, cut back on the quality, whether that's coming from developers or it's coming from people uh, who just don't understand, uh, you know, how to approach affordable housing um, and think that that's just a way for us to, to cut costs. Um, also, one of the, the, the recent phenomena that I'm hearing, and it's like, oh, well, you know what? If we make a unit that's 300 to 400 square, square feet, That'll be even more affordable for people, and we can make those, and, and we'll put them on the market. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, a 300 to 400 square foot spot for you know for a family or for a couple, uh, that is just that 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 might be okay for some, but there are a lot more uh, Americans and a lot more people uh, internationally who want space, and they should be able to have affordable options. With, that meet all the criteria that that a person would want to make it attractive housing so people would want to live there. It shouldn't be the housing of last resort and it shouldn't be viewed as, you know, something where we have to cut corners on because what we're trying to do is deepen the, the market pool of available types of units. And that, to me, is what I would champion and say we need to see more often when we're talking about affordability uh, for, for folks, and that is universally designed. Universally designed means that it is a, a space where somebody can age in place. So whether you are, you know, from, from newborn uh, till 80 to 90-year-old, you know, because folks are living longer, you should be able to live in that space. And whether you, you know, you, you are able-bodied or, you know, you, you, you have a disability of, of any kind, um, we need to make sure that our housing accommodates everyone. And so universal design is also a piece that I would champion when it comes to affordable housing. So, so just to kind of fast forward just a little bit, when when we so we've talked about all the NIMBY, the not in my backyard kind of folks, those people, poor quality, 
you know, congregating poor folks into particular neighborhoods. But what is really at the heart of, of the crisis of affordability, right? I think that there are a lot of fingers that kind of point around of poor policy choices from previous administrations, from folks who, you know, believe like, oh, we'll just let the market kind of deal with that. But the reality is, you know, with those poor policy choices, because I, I do agree that there are some, and a lack of focus on affordable housing in, in, across the country, we are in need, absolutely in need, of a policy that requires affordable units to be built in communities. That also applies, you know, in a, in a very smart way, tools that would help encourage the development of affordable housing. So let's talk about some of the tools that currently are out there that folks utilize for affordable housing projects. The biggest tool in the toolbox is called the Low Income Housing Tax Credit. Now, this is a, a tax credit allocation that, you know, housing finance authorities across the country and every state receives. And, uh, you know, that allows them to basically offer a tax credit that, you know, uh, folks could put on uh, on the market. Essentially, it's, it allows it gives some have like bonding authority. Um, and, and what that does is that allows them essentially to kind of raise money towards the, the affordable housing project. And it's basically an investment for folks where they get a tax break on the back on the back side of it for a particular syndicator. There are folks out there who purchase purchase these credits um, and help make these deals happen. OK, um, this is something that, you know, prior to this administration, you know, you were able to raise a good deal of money. But now with. <laughs> that terrible tax policy that that went through that's just my opinion uh the terrible tax policy that that uh you know trump and republicans rushed through congress not too long ago it really put the low-income housing tax credit you know kind of in a bit of of a flux a little bit not majorly but enough to where you know the tax benefits are just not as strong as they used to be for folks to invest in, in these particular credits. Another tool that's in the toolbox, um, and this is more on the home ownership side of things, is the, uh, you know, an FHA, uh, Federal Housing Authority, essentially uh, uh, has some products where, you know, they have a mortgage product, they have a down payment assistance product that would assist folks who, uh, you know, have modest income to purchase a home uh, and be able to afford the mortgage uh, it, you know, at, at, at a comfortable level, you know, that 30% or below level uh, for them. And that creates an affordable ho uh, home ownership opportunity. There are also some funds. There's a fund, uh, funds, federal funds called Home, Home Dollars. And Home Dollars are essentially federal funds that you can use to build new units or rehab units. Uh, it's pretty restrictive as far as, you know, the compliance period. You know, you got to put, send in reports and, you know, track the properties for, you know, for a time that people are just, some folks are just uncomfortable in monitoring those particular properties. And so it's kind of cumbersome and it's, it's one of the least favorite tools of, of developers because of all the rules and regulations that are attached. And then there is CDBG, uh, the Community Development Block Grant, which can also be used for, you know, newly constructed units, affordable units, 
Uh, you can use that to, to invest in affordable housing. And, you know, both home and CDBG, when they're invested in particular properties, then there's a set period of time that that property remains affordable. That could be 15 years, it could be 20, 25 years, um, or, or, or more. And the same thing is, uh, the same thing exists with, with LIHTC as well. Um, you know, those properties that, that utilize those tools maintain a level of affordability of 15 years or more. Um, and after that 15-year period, or once that affordability period ends, then that property can be turned into market rate at the request of the developer. Now, that's not something that used to happen quite as much, but now in markets where you know there was a severe downturn and now there's an upswing, like let's just take, uh, for example, let's say we could talk about Cleveland, we could talk about here in the city of Detroit and others, uh, you know, where that affordability period ends and then the unit can go and be market rate. So if you're talking about here in the city of Detroit, we've been seeing a, a boom in downtown, uh, uh, you know, rehabs and downtown new construction. And the market forces are, are seeing an increase in rents where some places are going from $400 to well over 1000 right and in a very in just a, a short period of time you know three to two to two to three years where that rent has increased significantly and so with that you have affordable pro properties that were downtown or close to downtown that now for the developer they're like hey this 15-year uh, period is over for me to keep this property affordable now it's time for me to cash in so what i'm going to do is turn this into market rate and then you have displacement and then with displacement comes gentrification right like gentrification uh, uh, starts with displacement and so those are some of the things that you know are, are happening and taking taking place in markets like Detroit and others and other cities as well and so what we need to do is understand that with these tools one the time frame is limited Okay, the 15 to 25 years, and it doesn't seem like it would go by that quickly, but it does. We have a lot of properties that were done uh, or, or built in the, the 80s and the 90s that are now maturing in their affordability level, and that is a real problem. So we need to, to not only look at tools that help bring new units onto the market, but we should absolutely be looking at tools to preserve the units that are currently on the market. Uh, in a smart way and and there aren't many tools that exist but there are cities who like you know Charlotte Dallas uh, Detroit who have been looking at ways through philanthropy and through working with private entities to identify funds and sources and tools that would allow for affordability to uh, to, to be brought to their particular communities now one of the things that, as I, I mentioned earlier, going into 2020, you know, is gonna, it's, a, it's an election year, right? And so one of the major things, knowing that we have limited tools, knowing that uh, you know, there's a, a kind of cultural uh, uh, pushback in certain communities to say, like, no, we don't want those people and poor, you know, they, we should change the quality or, you know, we, 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 if we just put everybody in this neighborhood, then we could afford, they could afford the rents at a particular rate, those, poly, those, those types of stereotypes um, persist nationally. 
And so what we need is, 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 or what you should consider as you're looking at candidates, and I ain't going to tell you who to vote for, um, but what, you, what I do want you to do is, is really question your candidates, question their staff, question the folks who, you know, are, are, are seeking to, to be a leader in your community. If one, if, if they're aware of this, this national affordability issue, two, what do they plan to do about it? And three, what actions would you do? What actions would you bring to the table? Or what actions would you take to positively impact that space, right? It's not enough for folks to just talk about it and have a plan. I think that's a great start. But at the end of the day, I want to know who, who on your team, bro? Like, who, 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 who with you? You know what I'm saying? Like, who are you bringing to the table that's going to allow for you to make sure that you're not only paying lip service to affordability issues, but that you are absolutely positively committed to doing something about positively changing this issue on a national level. Because if you don't have the folks with you, if you ain't about planning in communities across the country and making sure that you're listening to the people, but that you are also being very realistic in your planning process about what tools are available and what tools you're willing to bring to the table to positively impact this affordability, this affordable housing issue and crisis that is that exists nationally. Then, bro, don't even don't even holler at me. Like, there's this. It starts with housing. A lot of things start with housing, like the qual for quality education, for health outcomes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of data that backs up that having a quality place to lay your head, you know, impacts and, and heightens your quality of life uh, across the board. And so this is this is does your favorite candidate? Is it is it like all of these folks who are going through the primary process right now? Like, listen, we need I need to know, like holla at me. But where I'm coming from, I need to know. When it comes down to being in that booth by yourself that you have considered across the board who's going to assist you with your mission in communities where you at, right? And, um, and so, you know, uh, even further, I think that a couple of things I would love for folks to, to, to kind of have some thoughts on, sit back and, and, and decide in your respective spaces where you are. You, you know, urban planning director or you work in housing revitalization, um, you know, or if you are, you know, someone who is a consultant or operating in all these spaces, whether you're an academic, uh, you know, someone who who is studying these items when it comes to affordable housing. There are a couple of things that I really want to, you know, also raise to the national consciousness um, as maybe solutions or possibly you know, things to contemplate in your neighborhood or in your city as, you know, maybe local solutions. And so one of the things would be specifically um, is increasing home ownership in black and brown communities, right? I think that, you know, a lot of us have heard the clarion call of saying like, yo, we need to buy the block, right? So that's a part of the approach. I think buying the block, ensuring that you have the the ability to determine the outcome in your neighborhood is always good. It's, it's always good. If you own property and you are managing it well and you are renting to people 
uh, at an affordable rate and you are putting folks in a position to be successful um, and you know lead a life where that, that that affordability that you are providing for them allows them to also look at how they can become entrepreneurs or be a positive you know impact into their community kudos to you you're doing it you're doing it that's that's a part of the movement but the second piece of that conversation is you know for those folks who have who lived through the recession right who lived through the recession and maybe saw their parents lose their house or their grandparents struggle you know you, you're seeing folks being abused with like reverse mortgages and, and all of this type of predatory behavior that took place in a lot of communities of color um, prior to the recession uh, you know this is and, and some that exist today you need to make sure that you are consciously uh, remembering that recalling that understanding what that process is um, and and how those things took place within your your community and then you are doing a couple of things. You are communicating or, or, or informing your community of one, of the proper way to go about purchasing a home, the proper way to look at your budget about purchasing a home. Should you even consider buying a home? I know that's a crazy kind of concept. Everybody like buy a house, buy a house, buy a house. But there are some folks who should not buy a home. Because the flexibility that comes with renting at an affordable level, affordable rate, of course, may be better for them in the short term, for them to save money, for them to put themselves in a better position to become a homeowner or a property owner later in life, right? So it's not a one-size-fits-all type of situation. This is going to require us to have multiple solutions and multiple tracks for whatever your community wants and needs, okay? So increasing the home ownership piece, but being real about what it takes to own a home, okay? The, the other piece is that there is a, a, a lot of community, there are a lot of communities that have been looking at requiring any new developments to have affordability attached to them. Now, there in some communities, uh, like the one that I work in, you know, if, if you are seeking city resources in any kind of fashion, um, you know, for a, a multifamily development, then, you know, there is a, a, a requirement that 20% of your, of your units would be at 80% AMI, um, and so uh, area median income. Now... I think that, you know, I'm not going to weigh one way or the other if that's good or bad. I think including affordable housing as a part of, of new developments coming in, I think generally it's a good idea. Um, however, there are folks who, who would criticize, you know, and have criticized uh, communities for having a, a higher AMI rate only because they look at the market and they can say anecdotally or even some with data to say, well, you know what? The real pressure point in our community is those folks who, at, who are at 30% of the area median income. Those are the folks who need housing and they need it the most. Um, and then there are others like, well, why are we doing that at 80%? That's not even affordable. You're talking about people who make $40,000 a year or $50,000 a year. And, you know, I make 16, I make 12, I make $20,000 a year. And this, it's a really, really challenging thing to do because you cannot 
provide housing at one AMI totally, right? Um, if you're addressing everybody at, at 40%, then you're leaving out the people at 60 and 80% who also need you know, uh, to have a, an affordable housing solution. If you have people all at 80% that you're focusing on, then, then you're missing out on those folks who are at 60, 30, 20, and 40% of the area median income. So what, it, what it's really going to take is a really devoted effort to identify solutions at every area median income. It's a challenge, but I think that you know, we have a lot of smart people who are in, in the housing real estate game, who are in urban planning, um, who are in uh, architecture and design, who can come up with high quality, you know, uh, uh, products at an affordable rate, done with uh, high quality financing tools that ensure one, developers get paid. Because let's just say, let's just let's just be real about this. Um, developers, you know, uh, they want to get paid, right? And, and and so, what are we going to be comfortable with? as a level of pay for folks who are producing housing at a high quality level in our communities. And I think the diversity of that, of, of those developers is critical, absolutely critical. Um, and there are a lot of efforts where, you know, with new development that's coming on uh, in particular communities that they're really making a huge effort to ensure that the, the development uh, teams that are coming to the table are diverse, um, are representative of the community that they are performing the work in. But more so than anything, um, one of the greatest pushbacks against developers is that, you know, folks like, oh, you're getting paid too much or you, you know, why do you need this tax incentive or why do you need this? And I think that we don't do as partners sometimes in, in our role in bringing housing. Uh, we're not always prepared to answer truthfully to those questions um, or in a, in a way that you can take really complicated information and synthesize it down to you know some 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 layman's terms right like oh well you know uh, well the reason why this is is the tax credit market is you know it's really in a crunch right now we're doing I was like no 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 fam just tell them just tell folks the real look the money that people are utilizing to to build homes, you know, that are affordable. Right now, the money the money costs too much for them to borrow. The interest rates might be crazy. Maybe that's a part of what the issue is. Maybe another part of it is is that when you're talking about cap rates or you're talking about building, um, you know, homes in really challenging neighborhoods, people people will surprisingly understand. And look, there hasn't been a development here in over 20 years or more in your neighborhood. There's been a lot of disinvestment in this neighborhood. Own that part of it. Own it and be truthful with people and say, but we want to make sure that we're making an investment here in this neighborhood. And quite frankly, because it's so risky to the banks, they're thinking like, oh, nothing's been here in 20 years. You know, so why should I why should I be the first person to invest there? You explain it to people in that way, then they can walk away from the table with whether they know what a LIHTC uh, credit, whether they know what a LIHTC credit is or what CDBG is or whatever these tools are. They at least under, walk away with the understanding of, of why. 
Because that's all, that's all that matters is why isn't this being done and what will it take to get it done? Okay, so this is what it takes to get it done. Why didn't you try this or why didn't you look at this? Be real, be honest, and don't walk around or talk over people, you know, as you, um, as you, you, you have these conversations. And one of the other things that I will recommend, especially to young planners out there, when you are in your planning process, I know how easy it is to just shake your head. Yes, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, 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 man. Oh man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm, we can we can do that. We can make that project happen. We can do these things. What you're doing is, is you are setting yourself up for a very uncomfortable conversation later. So when you are out there working through these community planning processes and you're talking about housing or economic development in any kind of form or fashion, you need to keep it all the way real. If you have a budget for what you can get done, this is what my budget is to get it done. You don't have to tell them the exact numbers. You can give folks a range. But be as transparent as you can, but also be as realistic as you can throughout your planning process. Because if you are sitting around and just giving folks uh, yeses and all, oh, yeah, that'd be great to everything that they're saying, even though you know it's not, it's not something that can be done, even though you know you don't have the tools in your toolbox to make those types of things happen, then you're in the wrong. As urban planners, as people who are working in the built environment, one of the worst things that you can do in challenging communities is to go in and tell them everything that they are, are, are looking to have happen can. It's disrespectful. One of the things that, that I do right away is like I come in, I introduce myself, tell them where I'm from. We already established that uh, early on in the first couple of episodes. But what I do is I listen first. You need to listen. You need to have uh, you need to provide folks the opportunity to, to vent about what hasn't happened. Be real and be honest with uh, what what disinvestment may have taken place, because if you're not doing that, your credibility goes out the window. There isn't anything that you can say to somebody if you don't come in and allow them to download what's been happening in their neighborhood. Because while you may have a certain level of expertise, you may have you know, a great plan that you've thought up all alone or with, with, a, with a, your crew and your planning office and you sat around like, yeah, this is it right here, man. If we just did X, Y, and Z, like, we bringing the whole city back. You know, they're going to celebrate me and put, put a, you know, a statue of me in front of City Hall when we get done with this plan. You're not, you ain't been listening to what we've been talking about here at the Streets of Planning podcast. Here at the Streets of Planning, uh, Streets Are Planning podcast, what we are asking you to do is to make sure that you are establishing relationships, trust, rapport, all of that, and providing people a space for them to engage you, engage their fellow neighbors um, about what it is that they would like to see. And then you as an urban planner, keep it real. Keep it all the way 100 with, with them as, as uh, you know, my people say, like, look, keep it all the way 100 with what you can actually do. Be realistic about it, as real as you can possibly be. Because what you what when you what you do in that inner what you're doing in that interaction 
is you are setting the bar at a realistic spot and letting folks know for just 20 years or 10 years or 15 years or five years of, of seeing their neighborhood and community go down, you're really committed about establishing a solid foundation for helping them, not for you to bring your neighborhood back, but helping them and their partners and all the major stakeholders who live in that neighborhood 24-7, you know, like when you, you go back to your spot, wherever you live in that, that live there 24-7 for them to be invested and at the front lines of improving their own neighborhood. This is something that is extremely uh, important for us to, to raise as a major issue, especially going into 2020. We're almost, and this is crazy to say it, we are almost at the end of 2019. So, folks, as you start, you know, thinking about, boom, your 2020 planning, like, man, these are the goals. These are the things that I'm going to raise up in my community. These are the things that I'm going to champion. Um, you know, make sure that the affordable housing crisis is at the top of that. We have an aging demographic. And in that article, if you get a chance to go uh, to, to Curbed or the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, you know, the, the National uh, uh, Low-Income Housing Coalition, they actually, as a part in this article, they put something in there that just kind of like astonished me. Um, I knew it was bad, but I just didn't realize it was this bad, which is that uh, a renter working 40 hours a week and earning minimum wage can afford a two-bedroom apartment in exactly zero counties nationwide. Zero counties, which means it's not possible to find and rent a place working 40 hours a week at minimum wage, a future old. But there are folks who, by, this, by these numbers, cannot find anywhere in America to live on just that salary alone. So not only do we need to ensure that we are, you know, remaining vigilant and championing, uh, you know, higher wages for, for folks, but we also need to be really crystal clear that a part of the mission needs to be making sure that affordable housing is available to everybody at all income levels in, in, in a diverse way. So the other portion, I just want to just also, you know, throw this out here. You know, um, we have an aging population in a lot of the Midwestern states. Um, and now the South, you know, as baby boomers uh, retire, a lot of them are moving to the South as, as previous generations have done. And so with that, with this aging population, people living a whole lot longer, you know, that's a really, really critical issue when it comes to affordable housing because there are a lot of folks who are, who are living off of pensions, living off of disability, uh, Social Security, and when you have limited income and limited means, you know, it becomes even more critical without the opportunity to increase your your level of income by you know getting two and three jobs like those folks who are working minimum wage a lot of folks that i know uh, in that income range you know get another job um it, it, it for those folks who are seniors uh, who may have health issues 
or mobility issues, uh, you know, for them getting that extra money to pay the difference in rent if their rent goes up $20, $30, $70, um, as can happen in a lot of communities, you know, that puts them in a very precarious position. It puts them on the, the cusp of being, uh, you know, homeless, of not finding, you know, a, a spot that they can live in comfortably for the remainder of their days. And for me, you know, that is something that's hard to say um, and it's hard to hear because for, the, for, for folks who have contributed to society in whatever way, um, you know, I think that it's, it's, it, it gets to a point where we need to ensure that we don't forget about, you know, communities. And I think oftentimes when it comes to seniors, uh, uh, folks tend to, you know, focus when it comes to the, on the housing piece towards, you know, millennials and, and you know, those of us who are, who are millennials. I'm at the top of that range, by the way, um, of being considered millennials and Gen Xers and, and you know, generations that follow us um, for the amount of housing and what we need to do with apartments and, you know, making sure that we have, like, cool amenities and all that stuff when there's a huge population of, of baby boomers and seniors uh, right now and steadily increasing over the next year year to three um, that will be retired, have limited means, and need affordable housing. But because of our policy choices, um, you know, if they're already in it, they're not going to leave those current units, and they need new units. And quite frankly, we don't have enough of them. So when that range, uh, uh, that population of folks uh, are currently occupying and also in need, but then you're going to be followed by the generations that, you know, for a master's degree, uh, you know, uh, uh, a teacher with a master's degree, you're talking about paying them $36,000 or $40,000 a year or a social worker, $36,000. You coming right out of college, you need affordable housing as well. And so we have this, mis this, this, this perfect storm, so to speak, of, of demographic uh, uh, needs from, a, from an income level, but also from a, a needs level where there's so many folks who are in need of, of this, this critical amount of housing and we don't have enough tools to, to provide as much housing as, as we need. And we have all of these uh, pushback issues from different communities um, you know, who say we don't want that type of housing around here. Is one, where, where do we put it? And two, if you know we need it, I know we need it, when are we going to say and, and, and have this, this, this national conversation and say enough is enough, affordable housing is going to be one of our major priorities along with health care, along with education. These are, the th these are the things that, with, along with, you know, uh, um, criminal reform, right? Like, uh, along with the, the criminal system reform, like, that needs to happen. All of these things need to happen, but we seem to be focused on, uh, on issues that's, that are easily solvable, getting the low-hanging fruit, but what you don't prepare for today becomes an emergency tomorrow. And... Quite frankly, as I've said multiple times, affordable housing crisis 
we are there. We are in the middle of it. And it is only going to increase uh, in, in the need um, to be resolved. And so this is my call to all of my folks out there. Listen, when you are on your way home uh, this evening uh, or this morning, whenever you listen to the episode, um, you're leaving your place, just know that the work that you're doing is important. The work that you are doing is extremely important, and I am appreciative to have you as a partner in this fight for affordable housing and as a partner in this fight to ensure that the urban planning, affordable housing, built environment fields are representative of the communities that we are serving and that we are coming together to raise issue to things that might be present to us because we're out here in the field and we're out here grinding and trying to make it happen Um, and we raise those issues to a national level so we can have maximum impact and in 2020 you know as we roll into 2020 and these primaries happen and we move into the election season I hope that as we're having they're having community uh, these, these debates in communities across the country that We're asking that question. What is your affordable housing proposal? What are your action steps? Who are you bringing to the table to champion these issues? And hopefully they have an answer for you. And if they don't, we need to raise our voices as loud as possible to make sure that they don't forget when they occupy that house in D.C., that the house belongs to the people, and these are the things that we need, and these are the things that we want. And we're gonna do whatever is required to support policy change and policy implementation to make sure that our people and our communities have the quality of life that they deserve. So just remember, anytime, Anywhere, any place, the streets are planted.